Hello and welcome to the Working Parent podcast. This podcast season is designed to support working parents throughout lockdown and beyond. I'm Sharon Charlton Thompson and I'm one of the co-founders of the Working Parent Company. You can find out more about us at theworkingparentcompany.co.uk and on LinkedIn where you can follow the Working Parent Company for daily updates, articles and inspirations. Today's episode is all about the wonder of boredom. And I'm absolutely delighted that our co-founder, Kerry Summers, is here speaking to one of our top speakers who is asked back by our clients time and time again. His name is Dr. Eric Sigmund, and we've been working with Eric for many, many years. Eric is a health education lecturer. He lectures to children, to parents, to staff at schools, to organisations, to NHS doctors, to medical schools. He's a member of the all-party parliamentary group on a fit and healthy childhood and co-author of three of its latest reports on mental health in childhood. For us at the Working Parent Company, he talks on many subjects from managing screen time and preventing screen dependency, preventing mental health problems, body image, drugs, alcohol and children, parenting the demanding generation, leaving school and beyond and much, much more. And his latest pet topic is all about boredom and why our children need it. Boredom, as Eric will tell you, really does need a PR department. I really hope you enjoy this episode. There is so much to take away from it. We are here today to talk with Dr. Eric Sigmund about the wonders of boredom. Yes, I did say wonders, not worries. And I apologize now to all of those parents who've experienced months and months of, I'm bored, I don't know what to do. I imagine for you talking about boredom in a positive way might be a little bit annoying. Uh, But please stay tuned because today Dr. Eric Sigmund will explore why boredom is considered a constructive part of the childhood experience and vital for our children's mental health and future success, and why we as parents need to get comfortable with our children's boredom rather than try to fix it. Welcome, Eric. Good afternoon or good morning or good evening. (laughs) So Eric, let's just dive straight in with this. Um, What made you take an interest in something as boring as boredom? Yeah, a lot of people ask that question. Uh, Really, it comes from the fact that although I publish medical papers and I give lectures on different areas of child development and parenting, um, I want a second opinion. So I do a lot of traveling around the world, obviously not during lockdown, that's for sure. I want a reality check on our assumptions about what is best for child development. And I do some volunteer teaching. I have a chance to speak to parents in different countries and jungles and on mountaintops. And I have a chance to speak to doctors and teachers. Um, I have been all over the world, you know, from North Korea and Turkmenistan, uh, all the way to Bolivia, you know, West Papua, all over the place. One of the main things that I've noticed again and again and again is that often in countries where we see the families and the children as being impoverished, they're often rich in something that I believe that we've lost. 
And that is the ability for those children to withstand a lack of novelty and stimulation um, and an inner ability to solve their own boredom. I see this in many other cultures, but I don't see it in industrialized societies. So it made me very interested in why is this? Why can children elsewhere deal with boredom in ways that our children can't? Um, and then I started to see medical comments and medical societies talk about boredom being considered a constructive and necessary part of child development nowadays, and actually considered vital for our children's mental health and their future success. So that's what's made me arrive at wanting to give um, a, a different spin, um, to dust off boredom and show that actually it's a necessary part of the way our children grow up. It's not a negative thing necessarily. So boredom needs an image upgrade and it's something that we should be welcoming rather than trying to fix. Absolutely. Boredom needs a PR department and a lobby group. <laughs> uh, the problem is there ain't no money in boredom. Think about it. If you wanted to write a book about the wonders of boredom, um, uh, the bottom line is people would expect no more than a few pages. Every time we close our eyes and don't buy something or don't watch something, somebody's not making money. So daydreaming and boredom are not good for making a profit. Um, and that's why we do need to dust it off and see that it may not taste very good, but it's fantastic for our children future development. And can you explain a little bit more about that, Eric? Why is it that it's fantastic for our children's development? Children need the opportunity to be bored. Um, and because, look, at you and I and most of people listening to me right now, we have already learned that life doesn't consist of a never-empty bowl of cherries when we wake up in the morning. Um, our children need to learn that. And the earlier they learn that every day isn't full of deliberate excitement, the better off for their future well-being. And by experiencing boredom now they can develop strategies to escape it and they have to develop the strategies. We can't apply our own strategies. Um, this is something they've got to do for themselves. Uh, we need to be there on the sidelines to help and to nudge and to guide. Uh, what they mustn't learn is that the solution to boredom comes from outside of themselves. Buy this, watch that, drink this, smoke that. Um, what they need to know is that they within themselves can find a solution to their boredom. And as I said, while we as parents can indirectly help from the sidelines, we mustn't feel obliged to cure our children's boredom. And can I just take this opportunity now, um, right at the beginning right here, is that I think that more than ever, you know, thanks to lockdown, parents are often left feeling that they're responsible for ensuring their children don't become understimulated or bored. And Parents need reassurance that, first of all, these times are unprecedented. Um, they're certainly not in any way normal. And they mustn't feel inadequate and guilty, which I know many working parents, particularly working mothers, because this is a new role for mothers. You know, historically, mothers listening right now, you are a fairly recent thing historically in terms of working full time. And by the way, having to stay young, slim, beautiful, and great mothers, great wives, great cooks, all these lovely pressures that were around in the 1950s, but you also have to work a, a long week and be successful at your job and be a great mother and also homeschool your kids during lockdown. Good luck. Uh, I couldn't do it, um, but I think the pressures have been on both men and women, but I think 
I'm getting the sense that women feel it more acutely, the ones I'm speaking to, you're doing two jobs at once. Uh, and there's a limit to what we can control under these extraordinary circumstances. Well, and just to say on that, there is a lot of research at the moment that is uh, confirming what you were saying about uh, women taking on more of the burden over lockdown around domestic duties. It's not that men aren't stepping up, but statistically women are more likely to be doing more of that. So, yes, yeah. I agree with you. Sure. Why do you think we struggle with our children's boredom? I mean, my parents certainly didn't. Uh, they didn't seem to see it as their problem in the way that I do with my son or I did with my sons where I couldn't bear the sight of them having nothing to do um, or coming to me with the I'm bored question. Why has that changed over a generation? I think very simply, much of it, and I know it may sound a simple explanation, much of it is to do with electronic media. Think about it. First of all, um, when you were a child, there were probably a few television stations. They didn't broadcast 24 hours a day. Uh, what you could buy at a shop was far more limited. And nowadays, of course, with children having their own mobile devices, about half of children by the age of three or four will have uh, a tablet of some sort they can have 24-hour entertainment with tremendous variety. This was never the case before. At the same time, there's been a culture change in how we parent, where children are given a lot more choice in what they're allowed to demand. Children have become more demanding. So there's a cultural change, and I talk about a tyranny of options. Our children have never had such, such choice and novelty 24 hours a day. They have an expanding world of options in every Every sphere of their life. So this un undoubtedly has then created a new baseline. What will bore them occurs far sooner than would have been the case in your day. They can become bored far more easily because there's so much on offer. And I think that um, we as parents get bored more easily as well. We have an equal need for stimulation and very quickly turn to our mobile phones and um, other devices and, and don't really allow ourselves any time either. So we're not modeling that kind of behavior for our children either. Absolutely right. And interestingly, um, you've arranged for me to speak um, to grown-ups in corporations about their personal use of their own devices, unnecessary use. And many of the employees say, I can't keep my eyes away from that smartphone. Um, whether it's work-related or personally related, we adults have a problem because there's so much on offer and we become almost addicted to the need for novelty all of the time. And the role modeling is a very good point. We now know uh, that role modeling is extremely important in every area of health and development, whether it's food or exercise or alcohol. We're also finding it with screen time. If we're walking around with our eyes glued, they call it technoference, our eyes glued to a smartphone at home, why shouldn't our children think this is good adult behavior? And of course, mm -hmm. they'll do it and they'll follow us in the need for constant stimulation at home. We often talk at the working parent company about addiction to busy, that as adults, we, we wear a, a busy badge and we feel proud of that. We don't know how to not be doing. And our children are seeing that all the time. They're not seeing us have those dreamy moments where we're contemplating or just walking and thinking in nature. We're always doing something at the same time or ticking things off lists. And then our children see that and think that's how they need to be as well. So, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And really, uh, why, why is it important that you don't sit there staring at your screen, ticking things off of lists? Well, 
to get down to the nitty gritty of why we need to give our children the gift of boredom, Thank our you. children need to have a certain amount of time for what I call emotional housekeeping for good mental health. So for example, Carrie, you are um, a girl and uh, you go to school today. Another girl smiles at you, but it looks a little bit um, disingenuous. You know she doesn't really mean it. A teacher praises you for the work you did on an essay. Uh, a boy smiles at you from across the classroom. Somebody bumps into you in the hallway and so on. You go home and you need time to make sense of the various emotional experiences you've had. Uh, you need to do what we used to call a bit of reflection, emotional housekeeping. Children need time to process and integrate their daily experiences and emotions in order to make sense of their day, their life, their relationships, and the world around them. And they're not getting that time anymore. So that's an extremely important reason in terms of trying to explain what is it about boredom that's good for their mental health. That's one of the very good things about boredom, the necessary part of boredom. And how can we foster that in our children when they have so many influences and they're so busy and they have their screens we can't make them sit down and reflect so no. how can we as parents help them to become more um skilled at boredom well, a couple of things. First of all, as I said, we can't be responsible for whether they're bored or not. Um, again, we can aid from the sidelines. And of course, parents listening right now will have children of very different ages. And obviously dealing with somebody who's 17 or 18 is a very different thing from a seven or eight year old. But in short, in general, trying to create the space for some boredom. In other words, withdrawing too much stimulation so that boredom can, can say, descend on that child's life. Um, so to give you one example, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, has mentioned they've actually issued boredom warnings. Um, and one of the boredom warnings, by the way, is, I'm going to quote it for you, um, quote, a body of work contends that boredom stimulates creativity. Um, and so they think that boredom is good for that, but they go on, what is it that we parents are doing? And they're telling parents to back off. One of the reasons, particularly for middle-class or affluent parents, is that they believe that, quote, parental guilt has led to competition over who can schedule more enrichment opportunities for their children. In other words, lots of lessons after school, you know, Pilates, violin, tennis, this, that, and the other. And they said that there are risks with this. And now some psychologists, certainly in the United States, are referring to the times when our children don't have anything scheduled for them after school as undesignated moments. So don't overschedule is one thing. Don't assume that children have to have beneficial, constructive activities planned for them or they'll be bored. And also allow the time for what's referred to as free unstructured play and just messing about, mucking about, uh, because there are, these are vital for mental health. And interestingly, there's some new research looking at, it's in a journal called Evolutionary Psychology. Uh, the title of this study is interesting, Evolutionary Advantages of Free Play During Childhood, meaning when the parents step back and let the kids muck about in the garden or wherever they want. Um, the results show, this is their words, uh, that the opportunity for free play in childhood significantly predicts both social success and individual adaptability um, decades later. And they're talking about free, 
unguided by the parents and unrestricted play in particular. So in many ways, reducing the external stimulation and the opportunity for lots of choices causes the child to be bored. And when they're bored, kids don't like being bored. They do something about it. They'll moan to you about it. Don't <laughs> feel guilty. Um, this is what their job is. Their job is to pull your heartstrings and to emotionally blackmail you and me. Um, don't fall for it. When they cry and they moan because they're bored, you should be smiling inside <laughs> because you're doing your children a world of good. So bite your lip um, and, and basically suck it up for the time being, uh, you know, up to a point, obviously. I think that's excellent advice. So don't feel guilty. Allow them to moan. Welcome the moaning and the complaining and the whinging because that is a sign that you as a parent are doing a good job in fostering a space for them to develop. Well, to develop. It's, it's about development. It's about child development and imagination and social skills and all those things that um, when we've got uh, devices that are, or games or toys, they're the ones that are, are being the proactive element effectively and you're, you're reacting to what is being presented to you. And in your scenarios, you're talking about being the proactive one that comes up with the ideas and the suggestions. So it makes perfect sense when you say it, but yeah, when you're in the firing line as a parent, it's very difficult. So parents, if we can think of ourselves... Um, as, as welcoming this activity as a sign of us doing a good job rather than the opposite. Um, I think that's a really nice way to think about it, Eric. Well, if, if we think about this in, in analogy, physical terms. Now, um, I know that we, we've got a dog. I've got four children. And uh, every time you say, you know, your turn to, to take the dog for a walk, uh, I did it yesterday. And, and of course, they, they moan about it. Now, uh, if they moan about it and I feel guilty and say, oh my God, my child's feeling unhappy. They find it boring. They don't want to go to the football field walking the dog. Um, I could fall for that or I could think it's great. They're going to be walking for an hour. And by having muscle resistance and cardiovascular challenge, it's actually going to be good for my child's health in the long run. And that's, I think, a pretty good analogy. We know that if our children don't have enough physical resistance, their muscles won't develop and their cardiovascular system will not develop and they won't grow up to be as healthy. Uh, they don't like it, particularly on a cold, windy day, but we know it's good for them and we don't feel particularly guilty about that. But when they need boredom challenge, they need a challenge to their um, inner resources and their creativity and they complain about that, we feel guilty. Um, and we need to think about this as being good. Having that kind of difficulty is great for development. It's like muscle resistance. I think um, what is interesting is that we don't seem to have a problem with our children resisting when we are taking them to activities. So they might be complaining because they've got to go to swimming or they've got to go to piano lessons or yeah. um, they, they, they're, because we see those as activities that are important for their development and we're prepared to take the hit on them not liking us so much that day because we're making them do these things, but we don't necessarily feel the same way about leaving them to their own devices. So it's just that sort of mindset switch of yeah. this is no different to, you know, as you say, going for that walk where they're engaging those muscles or learning French or whatever it might be that you're looking at for their after school activity. This is another one of those. Not that I want to give parents more things on their list of stuff that they have to do, but this should be one of the easier ones on the stuff they have to do list. And one of the things we've been seeing again with coaching working parents through this is it is a, a 
really common theme that they have had a huge amount of relief from the day-to-day -day activities. There are many things about lockdown that they don't like, but the one thing that is common to pretty much every parent is not having to do that runaround or organise that runaround of activities, uh, play dates, um, events, you know, just having that quiet time is actually working for people. So a bit of reflection perhaps for all of us on you know, what our role is as a parent and um, and bringing this into the equation and maybe take, you know, taking a few other things out of the basket that aren't so important um, or a part of a balance. And perhaps we've gone a little bit too much the other way, as you say, Eric. Well, that's a great example, actually, Carrie. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but you're right. When we, when we force our children to engage in a so-called positive activity like swimming or whatever it happens to be, we don't feel much guilt about it. We need to see boredom as being just like swimming, but it's a mental development thing. Um, and it's a necessary activity, if you want to put it that way, for our children's development, just like swimming or anything else. And it's not thought of that way. And hopefully we can cause a change in mindset. Absolutely. Um, I really like your term emotional housekeeping for how we think about fostering this, this time and place for those sorts of activities. Um, boredom has always been, you know, something that we kind of laugh about as, as a problem with our children. But um, when my children were really little, when they were about two and four, we went uh, away for a weekend and we were having all sorts of problems with uh, fighting and disagreements. And we, we sat down together and we wrote a family rules one pager in colored pencils with pictures and on it we wrote banned words things that we're not allowed to say one of them was idiot another one was <laughs> stupid but one of them was boring so our children actually were not allowed to use the word boring in the house at all <laughs> so they had to find a way of describing what they were feeling um, in a different way and I think that you know in retrospect I'm quite proud of that because I think it made them um, articulate what it was that was going on for them because boredom is such a broad term and you know I'm tired and things like that or I'm hungry often they're just signs of I don't know what to do with myself so I just one tip from my side would be to examine with your children perhaps when they're saying that they're bored about what what is really going on here what are you feeling are you feeling you know that there's something that you don't want to be doing or are you you've you know unhappy about something or you know in, engaging with them about what it feels like to be on screens and why that means that they're not bored but what what is that doing for them so it might be an opportunity for conversation particularly with older children so that they become very self-aware about those moments when they're so-called bored Absolutely. And we should all realize that our children may act as if they find us boring. It doesn't mean that they do. So you're absolutely right about listening to your children um, and trying to assess, is there something else going on beneath that requires them to be distracted all the time? Do they appear to be fed up, not just because they don't have enough stimulation, but because there are other things? Um, your interest in those problems may not cause them to say, gee, mommy, I'm, you're such an interesting person. I love you talking talking to me. No, they might find you, you know, a bit invasive and irritating. It doesn't mean that they really feel that way. Um, and often we have to lean into them to listen and to pay attention. It's good for them, but they might not show the appreciation at the time. Uh, perhaps when you're a grandmother, they will, uh, but not right now. So I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's really good. You know, 
our part of our role as a parent is to prepare our children to take their place in wider society. Uh, and being an adult means occupying yourself and filling up your leisure time in a way that's going to make you happy. And if we spend our time as parents filling up our children's spare time, they're less likely to learn to do this for themselves. So this is part of a parental responsibility on our part, which we may not have realized. We thought our role was to actually prevent that boredom, but our role is really to enable them to solve their own boredom. Um, and it doesn't taste good at the time, but this is essentially the essence of it. And I think now we can go into perhaps some of the, uh, I suppose, a menu of, of options um, that will make parents think about, oh, maybe this will work, maybe that won't, but some things you can think about uh, that may help you deal with your children next time they say, I'm bored with that tone of voice, which means it's your fault and your responsibility. Having worked through why boredom is good, why we struggle with boredom, can we talk about what sorts of things we can do as parents to help our kids embrace boredom and get the benefits from it? I'm going to repeat what I said initially, which is that, you know, please remember that our children's boredom is their problem, not ours up to a certain point. Um, and our job in many ways is to make sure that they have enough options of things to do within reason, um, which might be for younger children, art supplies or things to dress up in or the opportunity to get outside and play. But once all that's in place, we need to leave them to their own devices. And I think that's the sort of framework we need to think about. Now, what can we do if our children are complaining about boredom? Well. We can sit down with our child, depends on what age they are, of course, and help them brainstorm a list of all the things that they enjoy doing, again, within reason. Um, and these can be basic things such as playing cards, reading a book, um, going for a bicycle ride. There, there may be many things which are personal to your own child or your own family, but get them to write those things down. Um, there also could be some more I suppose, elaborate ideas such as cooking some sort of fancy meal, uh, putting on a play, practicing photography or video, whatever it happens to be. When your child complains of boredom, have them look at the list that they made and that they should find something that they'd like to do. Just make sure that you don't choose the activity for them. Let them choose. Um, also, where it's possible, and this is obviously very difficult, I suppose, if you live in London, but not necessarily, try to have a designated play area designed so the kids can operate within it. Um, when they're in their own play environment, for example, if there's a room in your home where children have their toys and their playthings, it exudes activity and um, indulgence in play. They're more likely to create their own games when they get bored if they have this kind of play environment ready for them. And these could be either inside or outside. Uh, but if you can do that, that's a very big help. And periodically structure some unstructured free play time for your kids. So make space for times when you're not gonna guide them as to what kind of play they should be involved in, and they have the time and the opportunity to just mess about, perhaps in the mud outside, or in the house, or at a park, or anywhere you want. But think about the importance of unstructured, messing about, daydreaming, navel-gazing time as something that needs to be applied to your child's life. Um, and for all parents, <clears throat> I can't say this enough, this is so important, uh, 
encourage outdoor play, especially in a nature setting. Um, I actually give talks on the importance of outdoor physical activity and the importance of nature. This isn't just a feel-good thing that's good for the environment, which of course it is. This is something they now think does things for your children's brains to make them happier, less likely to become mentally ill, and to do better in school for reasons I don't have time to go into right now. But please encourage outdoor play, especially in a nature setting, when they play in natural spaces, they're far more likely to invent their own games um, than they are in more structured settings. Uh, and that's important. A key factor in becoming self-directed um, and inventive both as children and later in life, is being able to invent your own games and messing about now. So encourage that outdoor play. A couple of other reasons you might want to think about that. We know that when children are outside, they sit less, they move more, they burn more calories. Diabetes, type 2 diabetes experts are very interested in this outdoor factor right now. So there are many other reasons. And of course, in addition to that, they're more likely to be involved in social activity with other children, which is good for them. And it's very distracting. They're less likely to complain they're bored. So many other good things happen when children are outside as opposed to inside. Um, those are some of the initial practical things. What I do need to point out is that although I'm speaking about general things, we all have to recognize there's a huge divide between some children and others. It's called puberty. Um, I have children of different ages, and those of you who haven't gone through that yet, strap yourselves in, uh, because there are some big biological changes. And unfortunately for us parents, there's a quirk in brain development that the reward centers of the brain mature more quickly um, than those areas that try to control um, behavior. Um, and teenagers can be largely emotional rather than logical because of their hormones and brain development. And this causes novelty seeking and risk taking. So teenagers are driven to want to see new sensations. They're sensation seekers. And this, of course, means their boredom threshold could certainly be much lower than it would be otherwise. Now, uh, a couple of good things for you parents to realize. Um, I just came across a study. It's interesting. Um, and it's in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. It's a new study. And what they found was that the more parental support you give your children, the more you do what, what you were suggesting, Carrie, about simply listening and talking to your children about their problems or school, whatever it is, um, it's related to a 20% reduction in your daughter's level of boredom. Um, why? We just don't know. So your daughter may complain that, gee, mommy, you're really boring. Um, but the fact that you've taken an interest in her means that she'll be 20% less bored with you. Um, uh, so there's something to be said about the fact they don't say that your attention is beneficial to them, but it seems to be. They're also more likely to do better in school and so on and so forth. Um, a couple of other practical things you might want to think about. We talked before about please don't overschedule. Your child needs unstructured time. It's not unproductive. It's necessary. Um, and think about helping your child to cultivate self-control. Now, self-control and a related term called grit it matters as much as self-esteem, which is the really trendy term we've been you know, uh, preoccupied with for the last 20 years. And interestingly, self-control is the best predictor of future happiness and life satisfaction. So by allowing your child to get bored, 
And allowing your child to resolve that boredom themselves, you're helping to cultivate self-control, which is a lifelong skill for success and happiness. How can you do that at home? Good old-fashioned approval and disapproval to help shape their behavior. Your approval and disapproval are really important, dear children, even if your teenagers pretend that it isn't. Think right now, how many of you adults out there as parents still appreciate your own parents' approval and disapproval, even though you're middle-aged or older? It never goes away. Um, a couple of other things to think about, limit your children's choices. If you don't, and they have a choice in everything, they can develop a sense of entitlement where everything comes with options, and they expect a lot of choice and novelty, or they get bored. So gradually shrink their world of choices. Um, you know, don't come down with a, with a new military regime, but just think about reducing the choices for dinner, reducing the choices for activities and almost everything else. Fewer choices, it's good for boredom without them knowing what you're doing. And this is maybe a tough one for many parents, but learn to just say no and make it sound as if you mean it. Now, I took an interest in saying no years ago when I was a school gate mom, so to speak. And I used to hear mothers and sometimes fathers as well saying, Julian, no, we talked about that before. And I thought that doesn't sound like no, it sounds like you're apologizing. It sounds like acquiescence. You need to learn to say no, uh, convince yourself that you mean it. Because remember, disappointing our child is often very good for their child development. So very often when you disappointment, disappoint them, it's great. Doesn't feel good now, it's good for the future. I completely resonate with that, Eric. It's, um, I think that we try to be our children's friends. We don't want to be unpopular with them. And I think that might feed into what you're saying here. You, you want to please them all the time. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to be yeah, unpopular with them. So I think that that can be a problem. Thank you. It's interesting that um, I think this sort of democratic parenting, which became popular in the 1990s, I think we're now realizing there's a conflict of interest. Well put, Carrie. You cannot be your child's best friend. You can be friendly, loving, cuddly, and all that. Um, but being best friends in many ways is like being worst enemies because you're, you're stepping back from being in charge, which ultimately is what our children want. And you mentioned before, Carrie, about listening and looking out for signs from your children. And... Is your, you need to ask yourself this question, is your child's boredom a code for, I want to spend more time with you? Um, involve your child in what you're doing, you know, whether you're preparing dinner or folding laundry or servicing the car, whatever it is, get them to spend a little bit more time with you, even if it's a semi-lockdown situation. Um, they're going to be less bored if they're distracted by what you're doing together. And it gives you an opportunity to scan them emotionally to see if there's something going on. Uh, and this really, Carrie, feeds into the one thing. If I was only uh, enabled, uh, if I was only allowed to do a podcast for about 20 seconds, and you said to me, you asked me, Eric, what do you think is the most important thing parents can do to make their children well-adjusted, uh, mentally healthy and happy? I would say be present, spend more time and less money. And that means 
eye-to-eye -eye contact so they realize they have your undivided attention. Um, if they feel cared for and they know it, they know when they have your undivided attention, you're going to be in a much stronger position to influence them. They're less likely to act out because they feel neglected and they're less likely to complain that they're bored. And that means no technoference. Don't keep looking at your iPad or your iPhone. Now, I understand that right now during a lock, quasi lockdown situation, you will need to look at your iPad and iPhone more often, but this is not a normal situation. Now, there's a, there's a few rather rudimentary things that many of us overlook. Um, things that may cause our children to complain about boredom more and to cause us trouble at home. One of them is simply being sleep deprived. Now, a, an increasing proportion of children um, are becoming sleep deprived. Uh, and just think about it, Carrie. If you don't get enough sleep tonight, are you mm -hmm. going to be a sweeter and nicer person tomorrow morning? I don't think so, unless you're a very, very special woman. You are special, but you ain't that special. <laughs> Why we think that our children are going to be sweeter and nicer and less likely to moan about boredom if they don't get enough sleep, I don't know. If they don't get enough sleep, they are going to be more difficult. And our children have got to get enough sleep. And, and basically what that means, for example, children 6 to 13 years old, 9 to 11 hours a night, it's not negotiable. It's a medical requirement, 14 to 17 years old, eight to 10 hours a night. Um, and how do we achieve that? Well, one of the things is get those screens out of their bedroom. Um, in the evening, this is powerfully linked with all children getting less sleep. It isn't just that they stay awake later doing things on their screens or the fact that screens have very exciting things which are overstimulating. There are issues to do with the light on the screen, uh, preventing sleep hormones from enabling them to sleep as long and as deeply, but also the knowledge that there's a screen, even if it's off, may prevent their brain from settling down and sleeping. So screens out of bedrooms. Uh, and also for all children and for us as well, we all need a body clock, a routine body clock. And this is broken down, particularly during lockdown. Um, our children need to have a reasonable routine, sleep-wake cycles, or it causes mood disturbances. And to go on from that, we need to talk about discretionary screen time. I'm not talking about the screen time they need to do their remote learning for school. I'm talking about non-homework screen time and the time of night they finish doing that. And by that, I'm talking about television, Netflix, YouTube, social media, computer games, uh, the things that are not absolutely necessary. I'm not talking about your kids reading books on, an, you know, on a Kindle um, because... More discretionary screen time increases their exposure to novelty and choice and stimulation, which increases their expectations of novelty and choice and stimulation, and it also reduces sleep. So it's a lose-lose situation. And often this is an issue of quantity. How many hours a day are they spending? And in the United States, by the way, the average teenager, about seven hours a day on non-homework screen time. So this is a major, you know, first world uh, issue. Um, and it's also maybe a problem of the type of activity. But ultimately, you know, we need to limit excessive screen time 
and I'm not anti-screen at all. People think it's either, you know, people are pro or anti-screen time. Not at all. All of my, all of my children, and I'm sure your children, enjoy some recreational screen time, um, just as they may enjoy a bit of recreational chocolate. But amounts matter, and the time of night they have this screen time is a huge issue now. So we need to think about the amount. We need to think about the kind of things they're watching. What does this, what do we think these things do? If our sons, for example, are playing violent computer games, does this make them sweeter when we tell them to come downstairs for dinner or there's is there a withdrawal period with a bit of hostility only you parents listening now can make that judgment but think about it as a health and development issue um, it does affect their behavior especially things like complaining about boredom um, and we need to think about you know about about a screen hangover uh, how we can preempt it, especially as they get older and they're more self-aware. Are there some funny behaviors when you say you can't spend six or seven hours a day watching videos and playing computer games? Now, I'm going to pause there for a second and say, obviously, we parents have had to change the rules during lockdown. Don't feel guilty. I'm talking about most of their lives as children. And lockdown has been like a long-haul flight with the screen in the back of the seat. The kids can watch lots of films. That's great. It keeps them you know busy during the flight but when the flight lands in other words when lockdown is over and we get back to a normal routine we have to have some limits on how many hours a day they can spend watching those things i'm really glad you said that eric because i think that that is an issue for a lot of parents that they've had to uh, resort to allowing more screen time than they feel comfortable with because of their work schedules and uh, so so not piling on the guilt for that is really really helpful uh, but it does also mean that it is difficult when children start to come off those screens so I was just talking to a friend the other day who said her, her son had a, a first friend over since lockdown and they just didn't know what to do with themselves they were they were both only used to talking to each other on screens from their respective homes. And it took them a good couple of hours before they were able to work out something to do that didn't involve screens because they've become so indoctrinated into that environment in, during lockdown. Interestingly, um, lockdown has been an interesting guinea pig experiment. We're all in, you know, encouraged, thanks to the screen industry, who are worth billions and billions, uh, to feel that both learning and social activity and education, everything should happen through screens. It's so much better. It's so much modern. We've had a chance to experiment with that. And a lot of children, and I lecture at schools most of the time, two children and their parents about all kinds of health issues, they're all moaning that they've had enough of screens. Um, and in the short space of time, we're no Noticing some of these differences. They're finding it awkward to see people face to face, and yet they crave to see people. Um, it's given us a good idea, and teachers are all saying the kids haven't learned as well through screens as opposed to proper yeah. classrooms. It's a good yeah. second best, absolutely. You know, thank God there were there was the ability to do some learning remotely, uh, but ultimately they do need some face-to-face -face time. So that's important. Are there any other key points on what parents can do that you'd like to share with us? A couple of uh, things, and I'm almost done with my advice anyway. Um, things like participation and helping people. Um, interesting that there's now studies that participation, for example, in the guides and the scouts, when children are young, has a mm -hmm. strong positive association with better mental health 40 years later. And these are very robust findings. So one of the good things about get, getting children to help out, either formally in things like, you know, groups like the guides or the scouts or whatever, but even 
in our own house, or perhaps there's a little old person down the road, it stops children from just thinking about themselves, which is very good. They'll also be nicer to us, but it also, so it distracts them, and it also gives them a sense of reward that we don't fully understand yet. It seems to be good for their physical health as well as their mental health. So participation and healthy. And I think that finally, I'd like to say, please value what we call co-presence. That means being with your child in the same house. Value your presence. You are the most valuable asset your child has for their physical, mental, um, and, and academic uh, future. Value your presence. Be present. Uh, reduce technology interfering with you communicating with your children. And one of the practical things that medical schools are now uh, promoting is having family meals, eat together more often, which has been a very good thing during lockdown. I'll read you the conclusion of one study, quote, family meals have long-term influences on children's biopsychosocial well-being. It optimizes child development. So don't think that your time together, which as you said, um, you know, may seem boring for both the children and others is actually not constructive. Being there is fantastic. Please value yourselves more as parents. I love that. Thank you for that. If I was to ask you, uh, the last question that we ask all of our podcast guests is, what are you most hoping for in a post-lockdown COVID world? I am hoping that this enforced pause for thought that we've all had to endure and we may have to endure a little bit longer, has enabled us to see over the precipice and realize that actually we can make some life changes, that there were some benefits to having these restrictions and having more time together and slowing down and having more time to think. Um, and I'm hoping that all of us can appreciate what we have more and can make some constructive changes, particularly within families and to value our time together more than we did before, perhaps. It's really valuable. Um, and there's no price you can put on that. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I hope for that as well. And I actually have a quote here that echoes that so beautifully that I'm going to finish this with. And it's a quote from a, a global survey of dads and I'll, I'll put details of that in our show notes. Um, and he was asked, you know, well, how has lockdown changed you as a father? And he answered, a considerable change for me is that we as a family spend a lot more quiet time and allow time to be bored as a family with nothing to do. It is one of the most precious things. It's where absolute magic happens, allows us to connect at a deeper level. It's pure joy and it's free of charge. Oh, so I think that really sums up, Eric, so much of what we've been talking about today. Eric, thank you very much for your time today. It's been fascinating to hear about why boredom is so wonderful. I love that we're rethinking this concept. And I love that as parents, you've given us so many wonderful tips about how to manage that I'm bored moment uh, and, and reframed it so well for us as something that is as essential as the scheduled time that we have with our children um, and the, the physical activities that we encourage for our children. It fits it fits into the same uh, bracket of importance. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, it's my pleasure. And um, telling you parents how to bore your children more effectively is something that I never thought I would be doing in the podcast um, at this point in my life. But I hope you haven't found it boring yourselves. So thank you very much for, for listening. 
It's a career highlight, Eric. A career <laughs> highlight, absolutely. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Huge thanks to Eric and to Kerry for that really inspiring, practical and informative interview. I learned so much from that and I hope you did too. I really like the link between boredom and self-control and self-esteem that Eric made for us. And I have a new appreciation on why boredom really matters. I hope you join us for our next episode. We'll look forward to seeing you then. And above all else, please stay well, stay connected and stay resourced.